Okay, so we are recording in summertime, of course, and we are thinking all about like all things summer, which includes days out at theme parks, correct? Always, sure. Now, I know that one of your favorite artists, uh, someone who doesn't believe in time, but who does believe in gravity, filmed a famous music video at a theme park. Would you like to hear about some other people who also filmed at a theme park, a little place called Coney Island? Yes, please. Obviously, Lou Reed's Coney Island Baby, you know, obviously something that I'm putting on all the time, Joan Mm -hmm. Jett. (laughs) Most importantly, the music video for the song Shoop was filmed at Coney Island, as was a classic New Kids on the Block song and Summer Girls by LFO. Oh, my God. I mean, honestly, it's like if this wasn't part of the National Historic Register, it's like we just did the application. That and, of course, Rebecca saving a family member on a Ferris wheel ride. I mean, how much more do you need? (laughs) I like it when the girls stop by in the summer. Welcome, everyone, to American Girls, the podcast. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. Not at Coney Island, sadly. Not a live recording. Wow. We wish. I mean, do you think they would have us at Coney Island? They probably would not. I did spend part of my day at a public rec site today that includes a 1931 Penny Arcade. So I do feel like I did extra homework for this episode. But no, I don't know that Coney Island would have us for a special show. Wow, that sounds amazing. Did you get to play any of it? So I've played many of the games before and they're pretty cool. But like if you haven't been to an old fashioned arcade that far back, the spoilers, a lot of it was like, what if electricity Like, what if you touch some version of electricity (laughs) or we pretended to read your mind or to tell you some fact about your future love life by touching something that basically just has a jolt of electricity? So I'm not saying that Rebecca didn't actually have fun in this book. I'm saying, like, if you've experienced other arcades, you may not appreciate a turn of the century or Depression era arcade as much. Wow. That sounds like fraught. Those games sound like high pressure. I don't know that I would survive those games. Yeah, I think we learned through reading Rebecca to the Rescue that a lot of what was going on at these parks was like overpriced, you know, beachwear that you would have to rent, which sounds really scary to me. And then actual like illusions and tricks that also seem slightly scary to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into The Bachelorette, which just debuted not long ago, but one of the most terrifying moments on the premiere was a man walked up and the Chiron just said magician. Oh. And he proceeded to do card tricks throughout the night. And I just, I respect magicians. If you're out there practicing magic, God bless. It's not for me and it freaks me out. And I just, I can't take that on. So I feel like that's a part of, you know, amusement park life that I don't know that I could handle then or now. I love magic. I would like allow a magician to be basically like any role, any place, any time in my life. I don't love roller coasters. I did treat myself to a water park earlier this summer as part of like thinking that COVID was maybe on the decline. That was wrong. But, you know, for me, it's like I need a water slide periodically. I don't need a roller coaster in the same way. Like, I don't ever need to go on a roller coaster again, but I do need to see magic up close and personal, and I do need to have access to water slides. Wow. Well, I mean, it's good to know yourself. It's good to know, (laughs) you know, in these times, like, what feels like self-care. I mean, yeah. When I go, I haven't gone to a lot of amusement parks, but my thing is more like growing up in New England and still living here, like, fall fair season is a big thing. I really love like fall fair season. It feels like not overwhelming to me. And the scale of rides is what I enjoy, which is like, I really like um, the scrambler or the whip or whatever it's called in your neck of the woods. But that's just enough excitement for me. And then I've like had it. Like, I don't want to get on a roller coaster. I went to one this fall and there was a roller coaster and I was like, this is this is above the scale of what this event is. Like, there should not be a roller coaster here. And sure enough, I walk over and it was literally sitting on like scrap pieces of wood. Yeah. On like a blacktop. And I was like, this is not going to end great for everyone here. 
it was scary just to like notice that. So I don't know if like roller roller um, coasters are my lifestyle or I meant for them. I think games cat. of chance are are like all over the place, right? You enter into like a festival, you enter into a fair or like any one of those kinds of environments. Like there is going to be chance involved kind of no matter what you're doing. This book like really took me to a place because there is a Ferris wheel element and I am very afraid of Ferris wheels, but I have challenged myself to go on them many times. Like my worst nightmare is being trapped at the top of a Ferris wheel when I was in London, I did the eye because I figured, you know, like who who knows when I'll be able to do this again. But I totally respect the characters in this book who had, you know, kind of frightening associations with the Ferris wheel, especially back then. Like, I don't know that I would have trusted it at all, but hey, I trust it now with a few, you know, shims on the ground and like a, <laughs> a $6 candy corn next to it. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I've always been afraid of heights. Like that's a very real fear for me to the point where, and I wish I could overcome it. I'm like, like flashing back. There was like an A&E show where this woman was confront, like helping people confront their fears. And for some reason, I don't know if it was the show or what, but she was like, I'm solving this in one day. And like, I mean, her, her responses were wild. Like one of the women on the show was like, I'm afraid my mom's going to, my mom's death. Like I'm obsessed with it. And I'm so scared. So she was literally like, okay, come to come with me in the next room. And it was like, surprise, this is your mom's funeral. Like I'm forcing you to confront this fear right now. And it was like, none of us were ready for that. I'll just say that none of us, but someone else had a fear of heights. And she was like, we're going to the top of skyscraper right now. And when I see pictures of like people in Chicago in that building with the glass floor, my palms, it. yeah, my palm sweat just looking at those photos. Like that's how afraid I am. So, a Ferris wheel is my worst nightmare. Like I don't feel the need to confront the fear. I just, you know, it's fine. It's out there. It's a feeling I have, and it's probably not about heights. And I should probably like look at that. But, you know, only one thing at a time. I think that big Ferris wheel was behind a lot of '90s sitcoms and a lot of '90s rom coms, like telling us that love would only reveal itself at the top of the Ferris wheel because number one, like I've learned that that's not true. But number two, I think that's a reason that people push themselves or like this might be the place. Yeah. And that's kind of mind blowing to me. Like, why would anyone make any kind of like major life disclosure to another person on a Ferris wheel? Like I just are high. Why? But it's like, I don't know. I mean, I would just, I literally couldn't probably focus on a word somebody said to me on a Ferris wheel. So I, you know, it would be lost on me. Someone would be like, look, I just told you some major truth. And I'd be like, thank you. I'm sorry. I don't really know what we discussed, but I'm so glad to be back here on the ground. Like, thank you. That's all I, I have. think. I mean, if this was all good enough for Salt and Peppa, it's like it does. And Tom Waits wow. and Death Cab for Cutie. It's like, you know, the light funky ones told us like girls are fly when they stop by for the summer. So I yeah. think Rebecca kind of created a culture in which all of this could flourish. I also feel like we will talk as we get into the plot of this book, like the wonders that she experiences at Coney Island if you don't know anything about Coney Island and you read this 65 page book, you will feel like you are a historian of this theme park. <laughs> By the we end. learned a lot. We did learn <laughs> a lot. I feel like I could draw a map with my eyes closed of this amusement park. Like that's how granular this book is about a lot of things. But yeah. And also just like, I can't believe you told me New Kids on the Block filmed a music video there. But I mean, I guess shout out to them because if Coney Island has aged well, like I guess they have too. I was just reading <laughs> that they're on like a major arena tour and yeah. like some of my cousins went, they went in multiple states, like some a coworker of mine went, like people are reacting to NKOTB if that, I don't know if I'm supposed to go by their most recent name or if they've returned to their original name. I don't know, but they're out there. They are out there. And I think like, you know, in, in the spirit of, I don't know, like is new kids on the block actually a commentary on like what it means to be a first or second generation American? I don't know. Wow. Wow. I would, I don't know. I mean, I really wonder. That's all I can say. I mean, I can't even get into the Mark Wahlberg of it all and his trajectory, (laughs) but Donnie certainly has leaned into, you know, like exploring a lot of American institutions professionally, like the police force on Blue Bloods and boy bands in his own life, like a lot of respected American professions. 
Oh, wow. I can actually hear that storm. It's so, it's like crazy. I can, it sounds like it's like booming right behind you. Sorry. Oh, my God. Um, Sorry. I know it's like listeners, if you're listening, there's a thunderstorm going through. It will not keep me from podcasting, although I hope I don't lose power. Ah. I should say that amongst fears, uh, amongst my fears of heights, I'm also afraid of thunder. <laughs> I'm a child. I guess I'll just say that. And, you know, my wife's not home right now. So home alone, thunderstorm. I'm just, you know, I'm powering through this. I'm fine. Everything's cool. So we will take inspiration from Rebecca because I feel like there's two things that she's great at. She's great at staging an intervention when mm-hmm. someone needs something safety-wise. Rebecca also knows how to light a candle. So Rebecca is going to be there if you lose power. She's yep. not used to living in a super electrified world. So it's like, I'm here for Rebecca. I'm here to like power right into like what she has to teach us about really two things. The first of which being bar mitzvahs in 1915 and then Coney Island in 1915. Like, I'm here. I'm so excited for that. And I guess we can just, like, jump right into that. I mean, I just, I also feel like if she was here, she'd be telling me to retreat into comedy and to, like, do a bit right now because, you know, that's how she meets those moments. And I just, I don't know that, like, improv is the move for me right now. Oh, my God. Can you hear that? Yes. Listeners, pray for me retroactively. When you listen to this, I will be fine. <laughs> but it is almost Leo season, so I'll take any like any swerve towards personal drama. It is insane out right now. Oh, my God. Cool, cool, cool. Everything is fine. You know what, Allison? I think in light of this storm, I think I just need you to take me back to Coney Island in 1914. Never contain parabens or hormones. Vegamore is something for everyone looking to improve their hair health. The Grow Revitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner Kit works together to create visibly thicker hair and improve hair from the roots. Just massage the shampoo into your scalp for 60 seconds and then follow up with conditioner. It's as simple as that. Having Vegamore as my go-to shampoo and conditioner is a game changer for my overall hair health. You know, I like to do that thing where I sing the chorus of Jolene to myself twice through just to kind of time out, you know, that shampoo conditioner routine. And it really is nice to kind of take small moments that feel like um, self-care, like you're treating yourself. And this is something that has really contributed to my overall sense of being kinder to myself in terms of things that feel healthy and just nice on my skin. With Vegamore, there's no risk when trying because they have a 90-day money-back guarantee. We love that. But with 91% of customers saying they saw visibly thicker hair with Vegamore in just three months, you won't want to run out. Don't let damage of the past hold your hair back. The only thing that should be holding your hair back are scrunchies. See your hair's full potential with Vegamore. Go to vegamore.com slash americangirlspod and use code americangirlspod to save 20% on your first order. That's vegamore.com slash American Girls Pod, code American Girls Pod, to save 20% at vegamore.com slash American Girls Pod. Now let's get back to the show. Let's do it. So in the fifth entry in this series, which would be typically a saves the day book, but now it's a to the rescue book. We learn that on a family outing to the famous amusement park, Coney Island, Rebecca sets off with her cousin Anna to enjoy the rides and games. The one thing dampening the fun is her big brother, Victor. If only he would stop being so bossy. Fuming, Rebecca resolves to show Victor that girls can do anything boys can do. When Victor and the other boys laugh at her, she and Anna decide to go off on their own and enjoy the park without annoying brothers. But now Anna is missing and Rebecca hears fire alarm bells clanging. If anything has happened to Anna, Rebecca will never forgive herself. Damn. I mean, you said it best before we recorded. This is like two different books. So there's like the kind of famous setup of like, you know, four weddings and a funeral. This is a bar mitzvah and a day out at the beach slash theme park. And I think the chapter titles for this book are very instructive. Chapter one is a bar mitzvah celebration. Chapter two, we're immediately at Coney Island, Steeplechase, the funny place. 
Chapter three, thrills, chills, and skills. Then we get to striking out alone, which is not about a labor strike, but is about a separation in families. And chapter five, reaching new heights. That involves Rebecca climbing a ladder that she should not be climbing, but will will get there. Uh, so this, the premise of this book is that it's all about her and the family having this kind of challenging day at the theme park. But like, do not be lulled into a false sense of like security. This book is actually about gender inequality, and we're hit with that like page one. We're hit with that page one, and I think that this book should have actually been called "I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman." Because we kind of jump off with this book with like the bar mitzvah story, which we're about to get into. But the arc of this is like we're walking, literally walking with Victor in the beginning of this book with the whole family to the synagogue. Like this is a really important day in their family, really important day in his life. And it's kind of like the women are doing kind of a protest march, even as they're all walking to the synagogue of like, but what about us kind of like, especially Rebecca Yeah. And some important context, I think, for like this author's life and the way that she might be approaching this story about Rebecca and kind of like looking back over a hundred years ago, NPR did a really great series this past March about the 100th anniversary of the first bat mitzvah celebrated by Jewish girls coming of age in the United States and talking about the fact that in 1922, there was the first celebration of this kind in this area. And it's really not for several more decades that there are more of these kinds of celebrations on a larger scale. So when this author is growing up, it's scarcely going to be considered a norm in the communities that she's part of that girls are going to have bat mitzvahs. And obviously a lot has changed right in her lifetime, but we're really seeing Rebecca and family both like being happy for this young man, for Victor, but also kind of talking a lot about differences and how people are celebrated. I think this was very deliberately tacked on right after a birthday book because we see how Rebecca's birthday, obviously not as significant a number, but how she was celebrated by the family. And then this like highly ritualized moment for Victor and kind of like where that leaves everyone else trying to celebrate with him. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting, but I did kind of wonder like, did this author get forced to include this as a plot line or was this something that she Mm. really wanted to explain to readers because the whole rest of the book like very quickly takes us away from this bar mitzvah. Yeah, and I just feel like the inclusion of this plot line doesn't really allow for a lot of it it's not really even played for solidarity amongst the women in the family, the young women. Like I was kind of thinking that the twins And Rebecca and even Anna, to some extent, would kind of be like, yeah, how come we don't get something like this? Or like there would be some sort of like shared consolation of like we all are deprived of this thing and it kind of bonds us in some way or like we have some solidarity. And I think it's kind of hard to have that moment because literally in the last book, Rebecca just got this incredible privilege that the other kids didn't have, including the twins. So it's kind of like, what is the point of including this except to note that this is an important touchstone moment, like a signal towards adulthood for the men in the family. And it's, I guess it kind of opens a gulf of like, and what is that moment for a Jewish girl in 1914? We've also laid so much groundwork by this point that the twins' personality is being 14. And in retrospect, like we should have seen it coming, but perhaps didn't as Gentiles that like for for them, like being 14 is important because they've endowed it with importance. Whereas Mm -hmm. Victor's 13th birthday has this like much deeper cultural significance. I did love some of the lines in this first chapter. Um, There's this family friend who kind of comes up and he says, Mazel Tov to Victor. And he says, I see from the trousers that today you are a man. And something that I did like about this chapter is the way that there is this really important religious moment happening, but there's also kind of these like ordinary moments happening all around it that I think are relatable and something that the best American girl books do really well, which is like Rebecca isn't thinking of this as a theological crisis, like why her gender is kind of not 
not placing her in the same kind of place as Victor. Like her main thing is that like Victor is getting a lot of attention and she's super irritated by that. Yeah, I love that's a key part of her personality, which is like no matter how much special treatment or attention she gets, it still hurts when it's like other people's attention. Yeah. Where she's kind of like, but I'm over here. And, you know, I respect that energy, but I think you're right that with the twins being 14 and like that being their personality, that's a really important kind of characterization to almost imagine like, are they imbuing that number with the meaning that a religious ritual does not? And I think for women, it's um, their bat mitzvah is at 12, not 13. So it's kind of like they're, even though that didn't exist in the time, they're like a couple years out, like they're kind of investing themselves with this kind of maturity, even if no one in their family or their faith is explicitly, which is kind of interesting. And you wonder, like, did they have any kind of material culture changes too? Like in the same way that Victor goes to long pants, is there a fashion change that signals maybe that they're more mature? Yeah, we have this this note later from Anna that like Victor is looking more grown up. But for Rebecca, this is really like a dual crisis of like, I'm not getting the attention, but also it's making her start to think of all the other things that she doesn't get to do. Like we kind of learn that she has this interest in baseball, that teachers are having boys run more errands than girls. Um, and I kind of loved this line. Rebecca had to admit that her brother had worked hard for this special moment. That does not stop her for, from saying, I'm much better at memorizing than Victor. She's like, maybe Ooh. he's earned it, but I'm born with it. <laughs> I I really love that. And I, I also really like that even as they're kind of competitive in that sibling way, like I really love the scene when they're in the synagogue. And, you know, there's a great line. I wish I could find it. Uh, first of all, just want to note that Lillian is with us in the synagogue. Lily is now with Max, basically at an important family event. Yeah, and I want to say, like, we've jumped ahead a few months, but I feel like their relationship has jumped ahead, like, much, much further. Um, and I also love that Rebecca is, like, saying the quiet part loud, even as she's saying shh to other people. Don't let Bubby hear. She doesn't think acting is respectable. It's like, Rebecca, we're on book five. We're well aware of what she we thinks got of that. acting. Like, exactly. we are. <laughs> she's like, in case anyone wasn't catching up. And then we kind of have these, like, beautiful moments where the family is all looking around. Um, Lily is wearing this like amazing white dress. She's getting some compliments. There wasn't a trace of makeup on Lily's face. Rebecca guessed that Lily wanted to make a good impression on the family. I love how perceptive Rebecca is as a character. And again, like part of the fun of American Girls, it's like looking back, Felicity misses so much for obviously a lot of different reasons that are culturally loaded. I feel like by 2009, when this book was written, the author kind of just said to herself, like, I'm going to make Rebecca extra shrewd and extra sharp, even if it's well beyond being 10, because there's things that I want my readers to get. And I'm like, I respect that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And I kind of like this juxtaposition that we get by kind of purely just being with Rebecca in this space of both her genuine appreciation and love for her faith and also this appreciation or like acknowledgement, as you say, the emotional intelligence to witness passing and performance by Lily and Max in this space and with her family where it's like they they're kind of flying under the radar. So they don't like raise like draw any undue attention to themselves or things that Bubby might not like per se, but there's a line on page 10 when they're, they're sitting down in the synagogue and they're up in sort of the balcony. And it just says, Rebecca felt a sense of peace enveloping her as a hush fell over the congregation. And it's just one sentence. But to my mind, I think this is the first instance when we've seen an explicitly kind of like religious moment in an American Girl book. Um, or like just a description of that experience, like apart from perhaps the Kaya books. And I know Samantha goes to church, but basically we only go there so we can see her take um, her neighbor's collection plate money and or like donate her neighbor's change to the collection plate as a way of like punishing him, which, you know, was warranted. But I actually really like this moment because you can kind of it's just a very subtle way of her like 
practicing her faith or like connecting with it. Yeah, the scene that came to mind for me was um, way back in the Josefina books when we learn about the material culture of some of the objects in the church and the way that Josefina kind of connects with that and as a way of like thinking about and remembering her mother and her faith, like that kind of came to mind. And then I think it's only Addie where we had some really like beautifully textured scenes in the church where I think that this book like really even takes us to another level is when we're in Addie's church or we're in, we're in church with Josefina, those are like community institutions that are like very, very tight to them. For Rebecca, being in synagogue makes her think about how synagogue is so different from the rest of her life. A lot of her life isn't well lit and is very physically dark or is very loud. And there's descriptions of the synagogue being very light and airy and peaceful and quiet. And I thought that was really cool that we really get this sense that this is a sanctuary for her, right? In a way that like feels very different. For Addie, church is like a continuation of her community work, right? Like the fundraising, all that kinds of stuff. For Rebecca, um, there's this like amazing line. Victor was in the spotlight, but he wasn't acting. This was real. And, and that's just like a really cool scene. And I think kind of invitation for people who've never, like myself, like witnessed this in person to kind of feel, you know, like you're understanding the significance that this would have for the family. Um, page 13, Papa and Grandpa swelled with pride. You know, she's hyper aware of like looking at everyone. And I love that as a point of view strategy because we're not just getting Rebecca. Like, I do feel as though if Felicity were somehow in this scene, she'd be like, whoa, I left coins in my pocket and now they're making noise or like I have an apple core for Penny. There's something about the way that this character is very present and very aware of other people that I really like. Yeah, I like it too. I think she has a lot of emotional intelligence, which is a real asset to not only herself in her own world, but to us as readers, because it allows us to really get a sense of what's going on with everyone that she encounters and sort of like the subtle like shifts in mood or tone that happen depending on the situation that she finds herself in. Yeah, and I was almost sort of sad when we leave here, like when we leave the celebration and they start talking about baseball, they start talking about all these other things, and we learn that the family is going to be going to Coney Island. Like, Max also does not miss this as an opportunity to propose a date to Lily, and then we have the family kind of stepping in and reminding them, a ballpark is no place for a lady. Those games are for men. Like, this family has no chill. This family has no chill, and it's like, are these the days before Take Me Out to the Ball Game, the suffragist <laughs> anthem? Hard to say. I mean, look, if I was Lily, I would be like, oh, yeah, like, baseball's just for men, as I think she does, because I don't necessarily want to spend my day doing that, but I respect that, you know, everyone in this family is basically like, most things are not for women. Like, you could name anything, and they're like, for women, for girls? I don't think so. I don't think so. You kind of expect that someone in the book, and I guess Uncle Max is this person, but like a woman in the book is going to be like, no, like, you know, you should go to the baseball game if you want to, like, you know, and sort of encouraging a girl to transgress in those ways or like stick up for what she wants. And instead, like every woman in this book is like, yep, that's right. No women in the ballpark. Get out. Not today. Yeah, and I wonder if that is partially a strategy on the author's part to let Rebecca kind of get there herself, right? Because over the course of the book, like, there is an opportunity where Rebecca gets to, like, actually throw a ball and try to win something, and she's not successful. And I actually really like that part of this book, right? Like, she feels on principle that she should be, like, allowed and encouraged to do all of these things. And I like the kind of like double play of the striking out alone because Rebecca essentially like ditches her family member to try to go and like win a doll that she really wants, which I just like love as American girl energy. And she doesn't do it, right? Like she isn't actually able to succeed, but we see Rebecca herself, like it comes from inside that she 
is kind of navigating these things of like noting that Lily isn't wearing makeup, but also kind of not being sure if Lily should go to a ball game. And then having this like day of freedom when they're at Steeplechase in Coney Island and starting to feel more and more that she should be on her own. I do think there's like this like line somewhere in every American Girl author's contract. Like you do have to put the main character in unnecessary danger or you cannot write book five. Yeah, like if there's not a death threat, basically like you're not going to make it to book five or six, basically. No, and I know that book six has like a really cool theme. I have not read it yet. We have so much fun in chapters two, three, and four. Like we are so deep with Rebecca in the park, right? Like we've left the synagogue. We're out on Coney Island with her. Like Bubby is having a blast. She's breaking the plates. Like we have all these different exciting things happening. And it's like, why did we have to then end with Rebecca on like a super dangerous ladder rescue? Like, I would have been fine if the saves the day was just that, like, she had fun. Yeah, I would have been fine (laughs) with that, too. Like, I don't really I don't really understand these books in this series. And it's probably like my least favorite book in the arc because it just feels very forced. And I don't like the message that, like, a girl has to do something extraordinary to prove, you know, her value or whatever. It's like you're saying, can't you just... Like, if Rebecca had gone to the equivalent of a New Kids on the Block concert in this book, I would have been happy for her. I would have been like, that's great. So happy you had a great day out with your family. God bless, like, the end. You know what I mean? Like, I guess, like, to kind of go back to the plot, like, we're at the synagogue. We have the bar mitzvah. Papa announces that as a special treat, the family's going to Coney Island the next day. And Uncle Max is going to bring Victor to a Yankees game at some point, which we mentioned, like, no girls allowed, whatever. But... When we get to Coney Island, it's like an interesting shift where it's like, okay, is the pivot in this book from like tradition to transgression? Because my question is like, what does an amusement park represent in these books? Because I do think that like Uncle Max and some people have views on that. There's kind of an argument that is laid out in The Looking Back, which is about, you know, American outdoors and leisure in this period, that these are democratizing places, right? That like all different kinds of people go to somewhere like Coney Island and they are all experiencing the same thing. So very fancy ladies and working class girls are smashing the plates or riding a coaster eventually or, you know, on the Ferris wheel as we see here, right? Like that just by virtue of being in the same space. What is actually happening in the plot is quite different. And what is actually happening is we are told over and over how much things cost and Rebecca is clocking it over and over. She's clocking how much the hot dogs are. We learn that they're a nickel and she very quickly does math on how much it would cost for the entire family to rent bathing costumes and that it would be several dollars. And again, hyper-perceptive, she's noticing adults feeling kind of stressed, like just by the mention of this, especially her cousins, who she knows cannot afford it, despite the kids being like, I want to go in, I want to go in. Rebecca very quickly finds a way to pivot and to say, okay, well, we can enjoy this without the bathing costume and that will be good enough, which not only makes like Bobby and others happy, but saves them money. It's like that completely undercuts the argument that everyone shows up and they're having the same exact experience. Yeah, I I think it's a weird presentation of or like I think the book is doubling down on amusement parks being this place that up where you can upend the social order or like you know engage in all this stuff that tradition won't allow and Bubby is like obviously the like the hammer in this book and making that point time and time again she says like Meshuggah like this place is Meshuggah or crazy in Yiddish and she gets that from the jump when they get to the beach and everyone wants to go in the water. And like, um, what's the younger, younger kid's name? Benny. Benny. Yeah. Benny is like really hot to go in the water. And to your point, the thing that the adults notice is how much it costs to rent a bathing costume to go on the water. And everyone's like, that's insane. And like that immediately shuts down that conversation. And Rebecca kind of finds like another way by just saying like, but it's free to go wade. So they all hold hands and like wade in the water and Bubby can't like fat, like process this and thinks it's like, you're showing a lot of ankle. Like there's a lot of that kind of content, but uncle Max also and Lily later when they're walking around, like there's a moment that I didn't fully understand where I guess like Lily walks over a steam 
event or something on a stage, like leaving the steeplechase and her dress like flies up or something. Marilyn Monroe style. I didn't really understand. But everyone's like, ooh. And then they kind of like do a, like a bit, basically. Yes. And Uncle Max kind of to Rebecca is like, you know, this is a place where anyone can be like the rules don't apply. Like anyone can be anything like whatever happens in Coney Island stays in Coney Island, I guess. But in a weird way, it's like it was interesting to see that kind of confirmed and peek into the past or like repeated. And I wonder how true that actually was. Or is it just playing into like something we've just accepted as a trope because of things like Greece and pop culture things where amusement parks or carnivals are like the site of people like switching roles or like upending the normal order of things? So I think part of the brilliance of the line where Rebecca is watching her brother, right, read from the Torah and she says, this isn't acting, this is real is then the whole rest of the book is sort of like looking into a fun house mirror. You're not sure what's real. You're not sure what is part of a gag. And Rebecca herself participates in this later. I went on ConeyIslandHistory.org, which is like the official history site, and looked up like a little bit more about this period and, and what was happening at Steeplechase. And they talk about how the barrel of fun, like physically tossed people on top of each other. The blowhole theater blew a gust of air up women's skirts. This is from their website. Um, while men watched, right? Which is like not really an inversion of what's happening in the real world. It's like those are things that actually happen in the rest of the world. Um, that website says this funny place, parks rides, mostly consisted of physical human interaction. And that was open until 1964. So basically, the childhood of this author. But it's kind of this whole thing of like, you don't know what's a ride and what is just part of it. But we also learn when Rebecca first gets into the park, they're essentially advertising what they would have called like freak shows, right? Like people that we would not describe that way at all today, who were sort of like forced or felt forced into this kind of lifestyle, like they're being put on display as an amusement. So Rebecca is kind of experiencing like all these things for the same time. And then within her family, what she's observing is causing stress is like the exposed ankles and the feet and Lily's haircut. And that's kind of interesting because it's like those are the things that are kind of sending everyone over the edge when really there's like a pretty wide spectrum of like interesting different behavior. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just say for me, the most disturbing part of this book was on page 28 when Max wiggled his eyebrows and said, and now we're off to the tickle ride. I mean, yes, yes. I mean, that I, will haunt me. That will haunt me for a long time. There's there's like a lot of detail in here. Um, and again, it's like men in the audience whistled, right? Like there's all these kinds of moments. And because Max is an actor and he's been doing magic at the dinner table, you keep asking yourself like, wait, is this real? Is this a put on? And I think it's sort of this thing of like, we fantasize about spaces where you're something other than what you are. And it's like, if you're an accountant in the world at Disney World, like you are still an accountant, even if you have mouse ears on. Wow. Is that a bad take? I don't know. I'm just like, I, I mean, think you're having more fun, perhaps, but. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's definitely true. I wonder in some ways, like if people are using recreation spaces almost as like an imagined queer space where they're like, I can be this third thing, like. I'm not necessarily traditional. I'm not a radical, but like maybe here, I'm not necessarily like my mother's daughter. I'm like whoever I want to be today. Like maybe I'm, you know, a Disney adult today or whatever that might be. Like no shade to Disney adults out there. I don't actually know what that profile involves, but I mean, I think there's something about Max where he's like, anything can happen here. And yet the thing that he chooses to do in that space is literally put on an improv show or like a kind of slapstick <laughs> routine. And it's like, okay, well, this is literally your job. Like you and Lily doing this kind of like bizarre routine after her skirt gets blown up is literally what you do when you're not here. So how are you using this to be something different? Whereas like in Greece, which to my mind was like, when we think about like these sites as sort of like a reflection or inversion of an order, which I don't think it actually is, and I think this holds true in Greece, like that scene where um, Danny Zuko takes off his leather jacket and puts on a letterman's sweater. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Sandy has to like basically become a completely different person. 
and we're supposed to believe that their transformations have been equitable or equal. It's like that wasn't really an inversion of this of their the social order and their relationship or in society either. But the carnival is like, well, anything could happen here. Like Danny Zuko could become a nerd. Like, I don't know. And he doesn't. And it's like the same at Coney Island where it's like anything could happen here. And yet it's like everything you would expect to happen amongst their relationships does. Like the sibling rivalry is the same. Rebecca being really conscious of class, like particularly between herself and other people and herself and Anna is the same. So it's I guess it's just like another space to think about the same things that kind of define the social order in their neighborhood, like outside of their neighborhood. I do think after all of this, like I do feel like Max is an early investor in Las Vegas and goes out to Nevada after making some movies in California. He says you can do things at Coney Island that you would never do at home because all the rules are turned upside down. Like he came up with what happens at Vegas stays at Vegas. Max, you know, made kind of like a vaudeville impromptu routine at Coney Island so that Katy Perry could write Waking Up in Vegas so that perhaps maybe her child someday could attend, you know, an expensive college and put out on the social media platform we all use at that time. Hey, guys, my improv troupe is putting on a show. would love some support. Please show up. Thank you. I also like I love the performance of a lifetime where Anna is willing to get on the Ferris wheel, even though she absolutely has no interest in doing it. And then very quickly gets scared and says, I am afraid. Let me go off before I fall out. Rebecca says, we can't fall out. Besides, it's too late to get off. It's like I have been on both sides of this, but I have mostly been an Anna in my lifetime in terms of like trying to hold it together on a ride that I never wanted to be on in the first place. And I I love that that conversation sort of set up like you can be extra brave here. You can do things you never thought that you would do. And Anna knows herself, right? Like she knew that she could stick the landing in book two. And in book five, she's like, I told you I didn't want to do this. And I still don't want to do this. (laughs) I think that that's such a weird like thing at amusement parks and carnivals and wherever rides are found of people who are like, I need to test myself right now and go on like the Tower of Terror. And then there's people like me who imagine that like Enrique Iglesias is not singing hero to me because I've chosen like not to be a hero in those spaces. Like I don't really do. I don't feel the need to like stretch myself. I've never gone on a ride that for a moment I was like, "Uh, I don't know about this. Like, does it really feel like, you know, there's that moment in the book where Anna goes on the Ferris wheel for the first time and you kind of there's the description that her fear dissipates. It's like, is it worth it? No. And I will say this. The most common refrain that you hear when you're waiting in lines, especially for water slides, is look, that little kid is doing it. And you know what I say? So everyone can hear. Yeah. And their prefrontal cortex isn't fully established. Mine is. Wow. Like I make choices wow. for me. One of the worst things I've ever seen at a theme park, I was in Atlantis, which has a really intense straight down, no tube, no mat water slide. You basically just like do like a tombstone pose and you go straight down. I watched a parent push her son down because he's kept saying, no, 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 I don't want to. No, 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 I don't want to. And she literally pushed him down and his body wasn't ready. And it's like, there actually are some stakes here because if you're very afraid, you should not do the ride. Honestly, I was relieved when we got off the like literal and figurative Ferris wheel and we got Rebecca playing some games for Cupid dolls. <laughs> I was like, okay, yes. this is this is a place that I feel safe in. Um, my beloved stuffed dog who survived approximately 20 years, I begged my father to win her for me. Her name was Rosemary. She was a husky. He won her five minutes into a trip to Six Flags when you could only go to Six Flags around here in New Jersey. I had to carry her the entire day, and she was a three-foot stuffed dog. Oh, my God. Real commitment. My parents did not want to take her home all the way from New Jersey because she was taking up valuable real estate in the car. And they said, we'll strap her down in the back of the truck. And, like, if she makes it, she makes it. Oh, my God. She did. She made it. She she lived a really good long life. Um, she did die from some mold poisoning due to like a storage wow. situation. But like I was thinking back to that memory and like the improbability of my dad winning it like five minutes into this trip and then like 
the tenacity to hold on to her for as long as like I still miss her she she passed away and she was wearing like a scrubs top that I had put on her because like her surgery had not gone well I still miss her wow this is a really this is a really dramatic this is a traumatic (laughs) story like I hope there's some novelists listening who can take this on and like you know produce the novel that we need from this experience Here's the thing, like Rebecca, for some reason, like there are so many parts of this series that are not heavy handed. And then Rebecca trying to win the Cupid doll is extremely heavy handed. Like she is not successful at the sport. Her brother is. It causes her a lot of angst. I just like did not love that part. I didn't love like the conversation that she has right after where basically her and her cousin are like, wait, who has money left? Like, what are we going to be able to do? Should we get ice cream sodas? I didn't, I didn't love that whole part. It just felt like a little bit obvious. And I knew where we were headed because it's on the cover, which is Rebecca staging a rescue. And I was like, I don't want to live there. Like I want to, I want her to like do something fun. Yeah, I mean, I just I question like in any age in American history why we turn to children for acts of heroism. And it's actually interesting that like the fire department is there and the book basically like lands on them being inept, I guess, in some ways or like heavy handed. She hears that they're going to have to fireman carry on a down because she's too afraid to take their hand and like come down the ladder. And it's like. So that's all Rebecca needs to hear. And she's like, okay, well, here we go. Like, (laughs) you know, I guess I need to step in here. And it's like, I don't know that we need like a person to practice, like make a citizen's arrest or like make a citizen's rescue as a 10 year old person. But again, like, what do I know? I I have not made like a rescue on this scale ever, nor do I hope to have to be in that situation for anyone's sake. But it's it's a weird moment. Like it just felt like an overcorrection to whatever insecurity she might've had in part one of this book with the bar mitzvah. It's like, okay, you didn't get a bar mitzvah, but is this really the answer to that? Like, and what are you actually proving here? Like what is happening? This is also directly preceded by like, basically there's like a, a curiosity bench that like causes people to look like you know, they're sort of like lopsided or acting silly. And Rebecca decides that like, this is the time that instead of being laughed at, like she will be laughed with, which I sort of was like, hmm, eyebrow raised. Um, Page 42, exaggerating every movement, Rebecca walked warily around the bench, stroking it with her hand as if soothing an angry dog. Um, Her thought right before that is she was about to stalk away when she thought about what Max would do. He'd never leave an audience without giving a performance. Like, girl like I very recently like tripped in front of other people my first thought was not like I need to give a performance or like I need to pull this together I was like I'm uncomfortable I'm leaving I do think there's something sort of like happening in in this book where again some like really really fabulous moments but the lead up to the rescue is always so completely bizarre And the moment where she does that kind of fed into, like, I had it. I'm sure we all had it. When the Truman Show came out for several years, I fully, like, some percentage of me believed, like, okay, also, obviously, I'm a Truman Show, right? Like, I'm being filmed. People are watching me all the time. (sighs) There's something about Rebecca in the last, like, chapter and a half of this book where she's like, everyone is waiting for me to deliver an Oscar-worthy performance. And as an adult, reading this it's like I'm not sure they are wow okay sorry I'm just sitting with you like having thought the Truman Show could be like real like after seeing it like this is the first I've heard of that so I did not have that feeling so now I'm like should I have had that feeling oh god yeah I still look for glitches all the time like if I think I'm seeing certain kinds of like patterns and license plates too much I'm like "Mm, that's some evidence like I I Because you're always so like part of what also intrigued me about being a historian is like how much like deep fake would they have to come up with? Because like obviously they direct Truman in certain directions because they only want to come up with so much content. And I was like, this is a good test. Okay, wow. I guess I just feel like I'm too like innocent for this world because that like never occurred to me. But again, Wow. I guess I just never thought about it. It's like the surveillance state is very real. I just never like put that together. 
Yeah, and mm. we meet the surveillance state and his uh, nightstick by page 49, where the family is having this interaction, right, with the police and the firemen. And I kind of love, like, the the subtlety or maybe not subtlety of Rebecca saying, like, obviously you aren't the best one to help my family member, so I will go over the wooden barricade and I will help do this rescue. The officer explicitly says, you need training to climb the ladder. It ain't as easy as it looks. Just relax. And basically this whole family is like, yeah, you haven't met us. Yeah, but what's interesting about that scene too is that her dad basically says of Anna's dad, like he's a carpenter, like he works with tools, like he does, he is equipped to get up that ladder and be able to do this. And it's kind of like that is never entertained for a moment. Like he's in a weird way, it's like an inversion of the masculinity of part one of this book is like the uncle gets totally emasculated when it comes down to like wanting to save his own daughter. And in fact, like another child has to do it. And I almost feel like the dad's anger at her, which is completely irrational, like totally warranted after the fact when he knows they're safe. And he's basically like, I told you two to stay together. And this is what happens when you don't stay together. And it's like, huh, the Ferris wheel breaks because these two didn't go on it together a second time. Like there's something about that that doesn't really make sense. But I think that there's something odd about not odd, but I guess telling about Rebecca to your point about like the Truman Show and I guess like the simulation, I guess that you might read into that. But I read that moment when she's trips or like almost falls, I guess, off the bench as like perf- like her dedication to performance as therapy or like mm. acting as therapy because she's like, huh, what would Uncle Max do? But it's like here she is feeling embarrassed, which we've all felt like everybody's tripped or done something like that. I was recently having dinner at somebody's house and we were sitting outside and I've like literally they served pizza that was like Detroit style, which I've never heard of, but has a very like crusty or like crunchy bottom crisp. And so like there were a million crumbs and I was wearing all of them. And I just kept profusely being like, I'm so sorry. Like I've never spilled this many crumbs on myself in my life, which is a total lie. Like I do this all the time. But they were like, we're literally sitting on grass. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, chill out. But I was like, I'm so sorry. Just feeling like kind of like embarrassed. But I guess if I had been her in that moment, I would have like somehow dreamed up a comedy routine or like kind of pantomime or whatever, however you would describe how she reacted to that moment. And it's like, is she pioneering performances therapy in this moment or is she channeling like her future great grandchild, um, but not even close Lady Gaga in, in applause, like, you know, I, I'm here for the applause, applause, applause. It's like there's something about this with her where when things happen, she processes it through performance. And to be fair, as a contrast to Josefina, who would be like, deep shame and just never come back, I do feel like Rebecca has established herself as sort of a child hero, like everything kinds of ends well. Something about Rebecca that I think is highly relatable to any age, but especially that really tender age, right, is that she really wants people to be proud of her. And she Mm -hmm. clocks the way that a family member hugs her after the rescue as being similar to the way that her brother was hugged um, at his at his celebration, right? So, like, I think that's kind of interesting where it's like, oh, like, you think it's a big deal that he just had his bar mitzvah? Well, guess what? Like, I'm going to climb up a ladder that I have no business climbing and save our cousin. I do think, like, years down the line, there's going to be a troubling dynamic between uh, Rebecca and her cousin that will have to be resolved. Like, number two, I also kind of feel like this is a good reminder that when you're at a theme park, just let people do what they want to do. Like if we hadn't pushed the cousin into this ride in the first place, we would not be staging this stunt. Yeah, 100%. We'd all be at the lemonade faster. We'd all see Rebecca get her Cupid doll faster. Like we wouldn't have to have like the trauma when they go back years later and have to like talk about what all of this is. I just want to point out that like, If you were to, like, meet a time traveler and have one of Rebecca's summer outfit ensembles and accessory sets, you could pay for this entire family to enjoy Coney Island in 1914. 
that's inflation. Like wow. I'm not an I'm not an economist, but like I do feel really good about that math. Like again, I'm not not a specialist. One thing American Girl has taken away from us that I want people to know, Smash the Dishes used to be a game on the American Girl website where you could kind of like live as grandma does at Coney Island. Ooh. It is gone. No. Like if ever we were in times when smashing dishes felt like a good <laughs> idea. That's wrong. Yeah, and I think it kind of takes us to this like place that we've talked about with this book, which is like, is the theme park exceptional or is the theme park like everything else? And like, if you also foolishly have a PhD in US history, it's sort of, as we've said before, like people love world's fairs because it's everything heightened and in one place, right? Like Mm -hmm. at the time that Rebecca was living, they would have also had like the incubator babies, right? Like babies whose lives were being saved by being exhibits at Coney Island. Like everything that's happening outside with eugenics and police state is like also happening here, which is why it's fascinating to me that Rebecca and her family do not automatically trust police or firemen. And there's like a very clear distance. You then cut to Lily, who's like, I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, like anything can happen here, which I take it to mean that like she and Max like had fun on the tickle ride. I don't know. Like, that's how I take that. Like, (laughs) <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I don't even want to know what went down on the tickle ride. Like, I can't, I don't have the emotional maturity. I don't, I don't feel physically safe enough to <laughs> get that information. But, you know, I think you're right that in a way, like, seeing the amusement park is like, a, you know, model or sample of what's happening in the rest of the world is also particularly interesting with Coney Island in particular. And you mentioned like the incubator history, which is really fascinating. But I was reading that like, one of the things that was a death now in like later years, Coney Island was a world's fair that there was Mm. a world's fair that like drew attention and people customers away from Coney Island in Queens. And also by then it was like 1962 or 64 and it was like car culture was King. So, you know, like the lack of parking, et cetera, like people weren't necessarily just relying on public transportation. Yeah. And a book that I was thinking about a lot that I really love that I think still holds up pretty well is Nan Enstead's book, Ladies of Labor, Girls of Adventure, which is kind of all about like this world that Rebecca is coming into. And as like bizarre as it might sound, the scene where we have the firemen and we have like the huge ladder, right? Like trying to stage this rescue. It got me thinking that there would have been people, particularly in Rebecca's community, who would have still been like really acutely feeling the Triangle Shirtwaist fire, right? Like Mm -hmm. that that really would have been a very close connection. And it's interesting to me that this is happening with Joseph's family because they're working in the textiles industry. And there's kind of this notion of the firemen saying like, no, 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 like you need to be a professional to work this equipment. And you know that there are people in Rebecca's life and Rebecca's community who are like, oh, that's cool. So like, where has this equipment been the past decade when we've been like burning in factory fires? Like, just curious, like where, like, what's the connection for you? Like, that is such like recent history for Rebecca, right? Like knowing how many like young Jewish women would have worked in these really unsafe environments. So it's fascinating that we encounter Anna in this dangerous situation, not at work, but on a Ferris wheel. Yeah, truly. And also to know that like, even when they're just trying to care for amusement parks, it doesn't go well, like literally Coney Island and Luna Park and all these parks, like all burn down like every Mm. few years, it seems. So right. Like eight years before this. Yeah. There was a huge fire in 1907 um, in Steeplechase Park, and it was actually only a few years after it had opened. And there's like these cycles, as you're saying, over and over of like having to rebuild these different places that you could not redo with her uh, PJ set or with her summer attire, which is beautiful, by the way. But I got to say, like, do not try to climb a ladder with what she wears. I mean, I don't, I probably won't be climbing one period just because of my own hangups. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely word to the wise. Like, I don't think she was dressed for this like particular occasion. Okay. So her seaside souvenirs include a mini carousel, a memory book, a ride ticket and pretty postcards. Like which of those would you want the most? Huh? Um, I like carousels. 
but I also love postcards, like old postcards too. So I don't know either of those. I'm not sure I could afford either is my question, but how about you? I think I would like forego all of those for her beautiful lavender dress and matching hat because I like the way that her arms are still mostly covered. I appreciate that in this book, they're like, it's hot in the sun. Like we should seek shelter. And I was like, you know, I know you can't include a sunscreen message, but like, thank you for the conscientious Thank you for that. Yes. (laughs) Well, and it's also like history of tan culture. Like when does having a tan go from something that rich people or aspiring rich people avoid to not seem like working class to something that rich people pay to have applied to their body so they can be hot. I'll say this too. We learn from the like official American Girl book that Rebecca's quote biggest dream is shining bright for others. And I was like, girl, I don't, it's just us. I don't, I don't think that's actually it. But that to me is like such the actor's lament where they're like, I'm going to seek out external validation and, you know, like I'm here for the applause, applause, applause. Like, I hate to bring this back to Stephanie, but like, you know, as a fellow Lower East Side queen, like, I don't know, like she's another one who's like seeking applause and I don't know how that's going. I'm not sure. This is too controversial. I will just say this about Rebecca Rubin. If she was ever in a position to take a role on Broadway that she thought should have been hers in the first place, I don't think she would do it. I'm sorry. I don't think she would do it. I think that she would. I'm very. Oh, my God. It's not funny. It's not. I mean, I'm genuinely, like, very upset about that whole thing because, you know, I think something that this book, that the books do really well is, like, kind of show how bullying is toxic and why and like how to be a good friend and like how to be like, you know, kind to people in your world. And I just, I'm so sad for Beanie. Like it's the way that this has been handled and the way that like the production company seems to have like thrown her under the bus. Like I know the reviews weren't great, but I don't really think that she deserved this kind of exit, which seems like it was precipitated by them. And yeah, I mean, I read somebody who was like, I wish the announcement was like an Amber Riley to star, like that would be feel correct. Um, you know, as someone who was bullied by Leah Michelle, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not loving this news. I, Anna's never seen my Anna, not Anna's Rebecca's cousin, but has (laughs) never seen funny girl the movie, which is still, I've never seen the musical myself. I've seen the film, not the play or the stage production. And I really want to go back and watch the movie, but I just, I'm, I really hope Beanie will be okay. And I think she was just building like a night, like a really good TV and film career. So I hope she can return to that. And I saw she just got engaged and that's wonderful. I just, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like this is not, this is not what I like to see. Doesn't feel good. I think that Beanie will, like, have her own version of Smash the Plates and, like, will have her own journey. Like, if I may, like, do you want to tell the people what we're doing for July Patreon in case, like, we're not covering Funny Girl, but we are covering something that I have decided is, you know, in the words of TikTok, but not funny, haha, but funny weird. um, Yes, funny weird is is a very good way to put it. And, you know, like to quote another meme, like wig, like you could just call this musical wig. Like there's a lot of wig work happening, doing a lot of heavy lifting in the acting piece. But we will be talking about the musical and the film, not the stage production, 1776, starring Mr. Feeney as John Adams. And, you know, it's a ride. It's a roller coaster of a different kind, you might say. And, you know, lots to say about it. You know, and, and what I did learn, Allison, in rewatching this, which I hadn't seen it in a bunch of years, their singing style, like if the the problem with taking the lead of Funny Girl is that no one can match the vocal pyrotechnics of Barbara Streisand or what's required of the songs, no one in 1776 lets singing or the lack of the ability to sing no. hold them back. Like people are speak singing through this score, like stuff is happening, but no one is accepting a boundary. No, I'm going to say that re rewatching 1776 is is one of the worst things to happen to me this year. <laughs> That's what? <laughs> so, wow. if 
If you think that will be interesting conversation, you know, we cover all sorts of different things on the Patreon. So we would love to have you over there. Um, Coney Island, call us, you know, maybe it's for a hot dog. Maybe it's for 25 attractions under 25 cents. Heck, even our Patreon only costs $3, but we'd love to have you over there. We discuss all different kinds of things. So yeah, I mean, like, that's a wrap for me. Like anything can happen at Coney Island, which in my case is like not going, but you know, I would love to go someday and and had a wonderful time joining Rebecca there until the rescue. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's wise. And, you know, just shout out to Joey Chestnut who defended his title in the hot dog eating contest this year. Never forget Nathan's founded at Coney Island. But You know, by putting someone literally in a headlock momentarily who was trying to like protest him or attack him while he was eating 50 something plus hot dogs, like in some ways that does symbolize America and you can kind of make of that what you will. But, you know, there's there's a lot of metaphors to be made at Coney Island, I guess. So thanks for joining us as we made some attempt to do that. And, you know, like if Coney Island wants to call us, we will perform. Please don't go a girl a spoken word like I would do that at Coney Island if they paid me. Yeah, I'm available for any LFO covers that they need. I can be reached at Allison Horrocks at all of the things. You can find all the show's socials on our website. Please feel free to reach out to us. Heck, you can even call our voicemail and we won't pick up. We promise. We won't. And we may be filming a mailbag episode soon. So if you want to send us questions for that, we will store those away. And and if you leave us a voicemail, you might even hear your voice on the show. Absolutely. You know, if you want to send me questions or thoughts or comments, I am considering a rebrand vis-a-vis New Kids on the Block to, you know, MMM is in a version of NKOTB to be taken more seriously. But for now, I'm on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney or Twitter at Mary Mahoney123.